You know, it's amazing how big these signs are when you rip them down from the neighborhood <laughs> post that they're on. You don't realize how big they really are. It's amazing. Um, you know, one of the things that it, we've been talking about here is surrender. And uh, so I, I, I was thinking about how we talk about this, and sometimes I don't think we understand it quite well enough. Because yielding, wow, this is cool. I can like totally like, I can see it on your faces. <laughs> um, you've got, the yield sign is this unique character among road signs. Right, like, like a yield sign requires interpretation. You have to interpret kind of what's going on in the traffic around you, like a stop sign, much more definitive, right? No question, stop. Now, some of you act like you didn't see it, but it's, but it's a stop sign nonetheless. And it's unequivocal, hey, you, you should stop. And so, you know, there's signs that warn us of, you know, things coming up ahead, a turn or slow children playing. I always feel bad for those slow children. <laughs> I think that, I think sometimes we interpret following Jesus with a yield sign mindset. Kind of a nuanced mindset. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever trained any teenager to drive, this is one of the hardest things. I mean, and, and hopefully you don't have to train them for anything like a roundabout. <laughs> what is the deal with a roundabout? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, what, what? You, you, am I going? Am I staying? Is that guy going to slow down? Is he turning? I can't tell. The yield sign is a problem. And most of my teenagers, they seemed like when they got to a yield sign that they thought it meant sped up, speed up. <laughs> but no, it, it actually... It actually means slow down. It actually, it actually means look around, figure out what's going on, and see if you can, you know, navigate the traffic that's coming. And the problem is that's an entirely different concept than the white flag of surrender. The white flag of surrender has a a lot more settledness to it. You know, the white flag of surrender often looks embattled. It has some holes in it. It's been through something. It's had some uh, difficult seasons. There's some kind of battle that's gone on. And it's finally resulted in this. I'm going to have to raise the white flag. The yield sign seems so civilized by contrast. Whereas the white flag of surrender is an act of desperation. You get to the end of yourself. You get to the end of the battle. It's like, I got nothing left. And when, I don't know if you've noticed this, but whenever you watch movies where they're raising the white flag, it's the only time I've ever really seen it is in movies. But somebody, you know, they're raising the white flag and they're like, they're not just like, oh, I 
I think I'll surrender now. No, they're like, hey, don't shoot. Don't shoot me. <laughs> you know, it's like, and an interesting thing about the, about the white flag of surrender is it's really hard to take back. Yeah, I'm surrendering. I'm surrendering. Okay, now I'm, no, you know, can I have that back? I, I don't want to surrender anymore. It doesn't really work that way. And I think this act of desperation, this kind of picture of an embattled experience with some grime and some dirt and some, some disappointment, this is where we all have to land. We all have to land at this place of surrender. And that's what we've been talking about for several weeks now. You know, we, we started with love and obedience. Here we are talking about how to make sure that we're following Jesus in a way that is honest and loving and caring and relational and intentional and spiritual and it's very seasonal you know there's ups there's downs there's all kinds of stuff but it's all part of learning how to obey Jesus and then of course we started around the surrender solution circle and we're talking about vulnerability and identity and then last week we talked about devotion and today we're going to talk about surrender because in reality this at the bottom of this circle is really where it all comes into focus. You have to decide. I have to decide. We have to decide. If we're going to keep making every call by our own judgment, by our own decision making, and we're just going to, you know, I, I, Jesus, I, I think I can go on this one. It's Okay. Uh, Jesus, I'm kind of waiting here for you. I don't, I don't know what to do now. No. See, if you think of it like yielding, you keep making the decision over and over again. Surrender's much more settled. Much more settled. And that's where we want to get to. That's where I want to get to. That's where I want us to get to as a church. This, uh, this quote from... Neil Cole wrecked me last week when Pastor Brent was sharing and I just want to read it again. It's a description of what we're called to as a church. He says, ultimately, each church will be evaluated by only one thing, its disciples. Your church is only as good as its disciples. It does not matter how good your praise, preaching, programs, or property are. If your disciples are passive, needy, consumerist, and not moving in the direction of radical, everybody say radical. radical. This is radical. Okay, Jesus, I give it all. I give up. This is just another Tuesday. I think we have to settle. He says, if you're not moving in the direction of radical obedience, your church is not good. Oh, Jesus, forgive us for just treating your will like a yield sign. So today we're going to look at the central 
idea of what surrender means because it's the prayer of Jesus. And I wondered if you'd, just out of respect for the word of God, would you just stand with me? And let's, I wanna read this passage with you. And I, I want us to take it in. I want us to receive something today that only the Holy Spirit can offer us. Matthew 26, verse 36 to 45. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, May your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. And then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you speak to us about this passage? Would you speak directly? Would you speak profoundly? Would you speak simply to each one of us today? We receive it from you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Jesus lived his entire life surrendering to his heavenly father. And still, at the end of his life, where do we find him? Right here, going through another moment where he is reinforcing what he's always believed, what he's always done. If Jesus, who was perfect, got to the end of his life and had to reaffirm this level of surrender, you and I will be no different. <laughs> we, we have to settle. Everybody say settle. We have to settle that this is our attitude. This is our heart. This is our obedience. This 
idea of surrender is what we're yielding to God and not just a judgment or an opinion for a moment or a good decision at, a, at just the right opportunity. Look at how the apostle John records the words of Jesus in John 8, 28. He says, so Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I always, check that out. I always do what pleases him. I wish I could say that. Jesus did nothing on his own, but spoke only what the Father taught him. Wow. If anyone could have spoken on his own authority, it was Jesus. He was perfect. He was divine. He had the pedigree. He had the, he had the story. He knew, he knew what was coming. But he willingly, and this is the thing you've got to get about Jesus, he willingly yielded he willingly surrendered. He willingly chose to listen to his father, to just obey him, to be led by the Holy Spirit. Now, I think this is the problem. This is where we sort of start to check out. We're like, okay, well, that's, that looked pretty agonizing for Jesus. <laughs> like, uh, is, that, is, that, is, that, is that what I have to look forward to? Okay, so... Um, maybe, um, probably. Here's, here's how John said it in 1 John 2, 6. He says, whoever claims to live in him must live, what, is those, what are those three words? Yes, Jesus did. <laughs> Don't sound so excited. <laughs> whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Are you following Jesus and patterning your life after him? It's a big question. Most of us in the room don't think we can really do it. Living like Jesus, we don't think it's possible. Or, even worse, we've come to the conclusion that living like Jesus is not better than anything we could live out. And between those two things, I think we've found the weakness of the American church. Not possible, not actually better. I got plans. I got stuff I want to do. I got decisions I want to make. Surrender is primarily about giving in to God's process. Some people don't like this word, but I want you to say it. Process. process. Say it again. Process. Giving into God's process and another P word, purpose. Process and purpose. And they're always intertwined. Surrender is primarily about giving into God's process and purpose in your life. Exactly like Jesus. Just like Jesus. Jesus was in a process. And there was a purpose behind it. That's exactly what he went through as a human. He went through it. He went through everything you and I have been through. He suffered. He experienced rejection. 
He experienced betrayal. He experienced disappointment. He experienced pain. He understands it. We become like him when we choose to surrender. And it's more powerful than that. If you read through Paul's letters, which we will continue to explore as we go through this process of discovering what a surrendered life actually looks like. Because it's, it's not just a decision that you just make by yourself. It's actually empowered by God himself. In Philippians, Paul says he, he works out the will and the doing. He helps you want to. He helps you want to. And that's really, that's really part of the problem. I remember being a little kid on the front row of an, a, an evangelist who was preaching, and he was an amazing preacher, uh, very fiery, a lot of spit coming out, and I was on the front row. And I remember his name was Bill Stevens, and he was a powerful evangelist, and he had this thing that he would always say. He would look out at the crowd and he said, you gotta wanna. You gotta wanna. Go ahead, try it. You, you gotta wanna. You, you wanna say it, didn't you? Yes. You, you wanted to. You were waiting for me to ask you to say it. And you're like, okay, just say it. You, you gotta wanna. It's just fun. Finding that place where you want to. Finding that place where you want to. You don't really have to discover that alone. Jesus, Jesus marked out the path before us. God gives us the scriptures to read and to see it and to be encouraged by it. The stories of the Old Testament are God's record of interaction with humanity. Then the Holy Spirit comes on the scene and John describes him as this person who is convicting us and helping us and encouraging us and help, helping us see what we need. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases Luke 9.23, Jesus' words in Luke 9.23 when he's calling people to follow him. Here's how he says it in the Message Bible. He says, then he told them what they could expect for themselves. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. What? <laughs> Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is my way. My way to finding yourself, your true self. Self-sacrifice is the way? So, so, wait, self, wait, self-sacrifice is the way to find my true self? <laughs> Pastor Ross, I've seen a lot of good movies. None of them say that. So many people in our culture are trying to discover their true selves. To thine own heart be true. 
There's a concept in our culture that says you can find the truth in your heart. Actually, in the scriptures, in the scriptures, Jeremiah says that the heart is the most deceitful thing that there is. Jesus tells us there's another way. We live in a country where anyone, everyone can decide to be anything they want. And I mean anything. Self-expression is at an all-time high in empowerment. And yet so much depression, so much isolation, so much dissatisfaction with ourselves, with our bodies, with our lives. But just consider for a moment, just consider, could Jesus actually be right on this? Could he actually be right that self-sacrifice, or another way to say it would be love? That love is the way to find your true self? That loving God and loving others, even loving yourself as a child of God? You know, because if you're going to love your neighbor as yourself, you got to settle this. You got to settle the, you got to settle the self-loathing, the the hatred of yourself, or the disappointment of yourself, or the judgment of yourself, <laughs> or the pride in yourself, as the case may be. Men, <laughs> men seem to have more trouble with that. I want you to see that this thing we're talking about, this thing we're going through as a church, this is, this is why we're talking about something called surrender solution. That there's a solution through the doorway of surrender. Yesterday when we were having our one day retreat, I was struck by how many things we talked about that were so counter-cultural in our day. They were opposite to what the culture teaches us to do. American culture is very aggressive, very proud, very uh, full of the concept that you make yourself happen, you make your way, you fight and claw and scrape your way to the top. And only you can do that. No one's going to do it for you. So many things that we're talking about here. Are opposite, but I want to just explore this for a couple minutes. Are you guys still with me? Okay, because here's I started thinking about. Okay, so how so how do, what does surrender look like? Because we gotta we're gonna have to we're gonna have to peel back layers over and over again. So surrendering is here's 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 what surrendering. If a surrendering is a process, I think it's got some some issues we have to settle. Surrendering is a process of learning and growing. Surrendering is a process of learning and growing. Proverbs 12.1 says, whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. I'll never forget being at Cabrini Green in Chicago, downtown. When I was in college, we were doing a mission trip there to that needy neighborhood, and there was this little church that would happen on Saturday mornings, 
and a hundred kids from that neighborhood would stand there and they'd do memory verses. And this was the memory verse they were doing that day. And they stood in that room and they all yelled it out. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge. But whoever hates correction is stupid. And they loved saying it. <laughs> this, this thing about hating correction... It's amazing how stupid you can get. I always like to say this for people who are wrestling with sin. Sin, I think, it's clear when you read the, the headlines. When you read about people, sin makes you more stupid. Have you ever watched the cop shows and the... Have you ever watched it? I mean, you know how stupid the, the guys are that are trying to, like, steal stuff. And it's like, no, it, sin makes you more stupid. Learning means that you're willing to receive expertise and input. Now, that seems obvious enough, right? But how often do you feel like you ought to know better yourself? How often do you feel inadequate because you feel like you don't know? I know you've got Google at your disposal so you can get anybody's expertise, but surrender, <laughs> surrender settles it that you need to learn more. Surrender settles the question that you're always the student and not the teacher. Even when you do teach, you can stay the student. In fact, the best teachers are just that way. They always see themselves as the learners. I, I, everyone, I like to say everyone learns by experience, <laughs> but it doesn't have to be your experience. You can learn from other people's experience. Did you know, though, that you can learn but never grow? Do you know you can learn and never grow? I see it all the time in older Christians. They've learned a lot of information over their lives, but somewhere along the line, they got stagnant. They know a lot of information, but it didn't translate to spiritual growth. You know, getting old doesn't make you wise. Some people just get old. You have to surrender to input and expertise to learn. But growing means you have a grasp of two foundational concepts. And here they are, if you want to write them down. The first is you got to be teachable. You got to be teachable, meaning you got to be able and willing to learn from others. You're not always trying to be the source of the uh, information. You're actually willing and able. Everybody say able. You are able to learn. <laughs> I raised five kids. I'm almost at the end of the last one. But in each kid, in each case, there was a time when I thought, they're not able to learn. 
They're not able to be taught. What is wrong? Is it me? Am I the problem? No, it's just so hardwired into humans to do their own thing. And you actually need Jesus to undo that. You gotta be teachable. This requires a commitment to growing in wisdom and learning new ideas. It requires openness, a sharp mind, faithfulness. This is what being teachable is about. And some people don't wanna be taught. They just wanna tell us what to do. The only way to grow is if you're teachable. But the second is equally important, and that is you gotta be correctable. Some people are willing to be taught, but then they don't wanna be corrected. How dare you? You're correcting me? Correctable means you're able and willing to change. Everybody say change. You're able to change and respond to negative feedback. Oh, Pastor Ross, I don't like negative feedback a lot. There's no way to change and grow if you don't get negative feedback. It's part of the problem with a whole generation that just received positive feedback. I mean, I don't want to... I don't want to pound on the millennials too bad, but everybody got a trophy was a problem. So, so there's this important thing that you have to realize. You can learn and never grow, but learning and growing is what the process of surrender is. It's hard. It's difficult. You have to, you have to recognize it. You have to sub submit to it. You have to be willing, and that's what surrender is. Surrender is also a process with problems and perseverance. Problems and perseverance. Romans 5, 3 through 5 says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. What? We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials? For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us. Because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Just to be clear. God doesn't need to create problems for you. There are plenty going on around you. The world is broken enough. There's plenty of problems he can use to help you. It's also true that you create your own problems. God doesn't have to create any for you. And if you understand this, you realize that God always has something good for you. Oh, God's trying to, he's given me these problems. No, listen, God loves you. And he's allowing you and I to walk through this broken life experience on this broken planet. And there's plenty of problems everywhere if we'll only understand that God's trying to do something with them for our benefit. I mean, you got neighbors, they're problems. You got extended family, don't you? Problems. You got boss and coworkers, right? Problems. You got Facebook friends, big problems. You got broken plumbing. You got problems with your house. You got to get in a car accident. Or you have even more difficult and deeper problems like the passing of a parent or a sick child. Trials are plentiful in this life and God is not typically the initiator of them, but he will always use them to grow you spiritually, emotionally, and intellectually to become more like Jesus if you'll let him. If you'll let him. You don't have to. 
But here's the, here's the thing. You can yield to problems, but never surrender to the perseverance that God's trying to work in you. Like you can, <laughs> you can accept that there are problems, but if, you, but if you don't see that God is using those problems to develop something deeper in you, then what's the point? What the point is you try to get rid of every problem. I gotta get rid of every problem. I'm trying to get my I'm trying to get rid of all problems in my life. You can have problems with no perseverance, or you can have problems and tremendous purpose in your life and character building that God is doing. You get to choose. Why would you choose just problems? Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer, because I've overcome the world. So problems don't have to be the, def- the defining characteristic of your life. Perseverance and character growth can be. But guess who decides? You. You can surrender to God's process in the problems, or you can just have a life of problems. And let me tell you, lots of people have just settled for the problems. Why would you do that? That sounds stupid. If you're going to get the problem, if you're going to have the problems anyway, why not use them and make sure that you're developing something else? But people are resistant to allow the problems to do their work under the direction of the Holy Spirit. The marriage problems are an irritant and an annoying thing that I don't want to deal with. You can either have the marriage problems and just sit in it, or you can trust that God is doing something and surrender to his process in the problems of your marriage. Enough said on that. Trials require endurance in the life of a disciple. We live in a microwave society, and I just want to tell you that God's more interested in seeing you as a crock pot. Endurance develops our strength of character. Discipleship is all about character development. It's all about that. And hope comes from understanding how much God loves us in the middle of it. That's what this verse says. Hope comes from realizing God's doing something in me and I'm a smarter, wiser person than I used to be because I surrendered to God in the midst of my problems. Is everybody with me? Finally, surrendering is a process of submission and humility. There it is. I said it. I said the word. Submission. We don't like that word in America. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. And he will make your paths straight. All my heart? (laughs) Like, all my heart? Can I just, like, from time to time with my heart? I have to give it all? I have to trust him with everything? 
in all your ways submit to him? Whew. Did you know that you can yield in submission but never surrender to humility? People do it all the time. People that you work, what do they do? The boss comes in, tells them to do some stuff. What do they do? Do they do it? Yes. They smile at the boss? Yes. And then they go in the break room and do what? What It happens to all my kids. I want you to go clean your room right now. <laughs> One of the things that always kills me with parents is, hey, say you're sorry. Sorry. Say it better than that. It's like, what are you, what are you driving at when you say that? You're, you're saying, I want you to submit with a good attitude. You guys, what surrender is, is learning to have a good attitude and believing that there's everything we need when we've just chosen surrender. And here's what I want to tell you to do. Don't hold back on surrender. Wave it. Like, let people know. Like, let God know. Don't hide it. There's something that God starts to do in you when you surrender. Because here's the problem. So often, we think that surrender feels a lot more like defeat. Well, I'm defeated. Sometimes in your life, it looks like the problem's won. The problems are winning. It seems like the person got away with hurting you. It appears that your circumstances have prevailed. But God has a way of working that goes beyond the problem into your soul. A way of changing our situation, a way of rescuing, restoring, and resurrecting Jesus, he said this to his disciples in John 14. He said, I'll not say much more to you for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. You guys stay with me for another two minutes. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the father and do exactly what my father has commanded me. I love this. Jesus is like, hey, don't get the wrong idea. The devil takes nothing from me. I lay down my life of my own will. And that's exactly what you and I have to embrace. But when you embrace that idea, guess what the devil does? What? He's surrendering. She's giving in. She's giving in to Jesus. Oh no. What else am I going to do? What other tricks do I have? What could, he got nothing else on you. You can be like Jesus and say, nobody takes 
these things from me, I surrender willingly. I surrender to the problems because I know God's doing something. Ooh, that's so counter like what you normally would think. But you know what happens to your marriage when you realize you have a problem and you've embraced the fact that you have a problem and you're gonna lean into it? You're gonna surrender to God in the middle of it rather than just calculatingly yield from time to time? God starts to work in your marriage. Jesus and his final moment of surrender. In the Garden of Gethsemane, his final moment unleashed something. And this is the beauty. This is the thing we're going to talk about over the next several weeks and over the coming couple years. We're going to talk about this idea of surrender. Because when Jesus said, not as I will, but as you will, something happened. Jesus said, I'm not in charge of this thing. My father is. I'm giving up my will. I don't want to go to this cross. He was honest. We're not talking about being dishonest. We're not talking about hiding the the real things that are going on inside of you. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being honest about how hard it is to surrender. Jesus was agonizing. He wanted his buddies with him. Where were they? Sleeping. Surrender is lonely. No, No one can do it for you. But what's unleashed at the end of it? When you notice Jesus in this passage in Matthew, he says, he comes back to his, his, his friends. He says, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And he heads for the cross. And what is the cross? The cross becomes the triumph over all sin, over every broken thing that has happened in this planet. Jesus goes to it. He surrenders to it. He takes the sin of the world upon himself. He dies. Oh, it looks like he got defeated. Nope, he goes in the grave. And three days later, resurrection life appears. Now the problem is we don't like the amount of time between surrender and resurrection. (laughs) This is the problem. We don't like this space in here. It's dark, it's lonely, it's difficult, it's challenging, it's a struggle. It feels so defeating. But listen, what is happening is God is doing something and he only does it if you put your trust in him. The prayer of surrender is the seed of resurrection life and power. It's the seed of resurrection life and power that is coming into your life. And you can't surrender unless you have faith in that. Otherwise, you're just gonna calculate and figure out the best thing for you at the time. But if you'll surrender and let that seed germinate, if you'll let it go down into the lonely place the earth the darkness you will find God there with his power with his resurrection life